Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, I'm continuing this series that I'm doing on the Sermon on the Mount, and this passage comes directly after the Beatitudes. Um, And if you want to hear the lead up to that, you can download uh, the Aspen Chapel podcast either from Apple or Google Play or check out uh, the YouTube channel. Now, in the Beatitudes, which we've been covering over the last few weeks, Jesus shows us the journey that a soul living within the nature of Christ must take. And that journey begins uh, with the importance of not knowing. Uh, Wisdom cannot enter those who think they know. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And after opening ourselves to not knowing, we recognize the lack of the divine in our lives and therefore we're called to seek it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. And in recognizing that poverty, we also eschew violence and our desire to make things go our way, blessed are the meek. And then we seek right relationship with God, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. We show compassion uh, to others, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And that experience of oneness comes with that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God Really, only that inner attention will enable us to see the true nature of reality. Blessed are the peacemakers, um, for they should be called children of God, coming from that universal mind rather than our rational mind. And then the cost that sometimes we pay in our lives. Blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, in those passages, establishes the character of one who's following the teachings. And then he says, you are the salt of the world, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You are the light of the world. Uh, A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds. So once we've developed that character founded on wisdom. He's saying, don't let the hard work of coming into the kingdom of heaven go to waste. He's really saying, make it count. Don't just go back to your old ways, but make sure that you're an example to all those around you. You know, like that bit that Heather just mentioned, the colic for purity. May I perfectly love you, and worthily magnify your holy name. That's what Jesus is talking about here, putting that into action. And he's talking about being worthy of the teachings that we've received. And, you know, let's face it, most of us here are old lags at this game. You know, we've done the courses, we've been on the retreats, we've spent hours in the meditation cushion, and the temptation is to sit back and, and think, well, I'm not so bad. 
I've curved my temper. I don't get angry so often. I tend not to react too much. I try not to blame others for my pain. I wait before I react and I don't ask too much out of life. I think it's time to sit back maybe and play a little golf or tennis. And Jesus is saying here that there is an urgency that we have to retain in our lives, an urgency about what needs still to be done, an urgency about the needs of others around us, an urgency about our planet. And for us now, it's especially difficult with everything closed and many avenues that were previously open to us to help are now closed as well. But Jesus is saying here that the Spirit is not closed, that the work of the Spirit needs to carry on in all circumstances. It doesn't matter how you feel, doesn't matter what's going on, that work of the Spirit must carry on. Not to be an old buffer and think that there's not much for us to do now. You know, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It'll be thrown out. You know, when it happens, we just become another consumer of things, a consumer of ideas, a consumer of sermons, a consumer of news. Rather, what Jesus is saying here is that we're being asked to be a light on the hill. Let your life so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. You know, that exhortation is used on most of the communion rites before you actually go into the communion. That's the words that are used. It's a central command on the spiritual path that the work we do on ourselves is not for ourselves, but for the greater good. And unless we're mindful of that greater purpose, we're simply noodling in our own self-centered realities. You know, there's work to be done. We call that work the evolution of consciousness. And each of us must be mindful of the part that we play in it. As I said, there's a temptation, particularly at the moment, to look after ourselves and those we care for, to be aware of uh, what else is going on. But I also think that much of it is outside our sphere of orbit. But now is such a crucial time that we have to be aware of the influence that we have and can have on those around us. You know, the demonstrations around the world are a testament to people caring and wanting change. But often they don't know how. You know, we have a methodology for change, a movement from the tyranny of the rational mind to that containing love of the heart. Um, last week I quoted uh, Bethlehem saying, heart and reason can no longer be kept in separate places. The daring heart must invade reason with its own living warmth, even if the symmetry of reason must also give way to admit love and the pulsation of life. We know we're not our minds. We know that it's only when the mind chooses to serve the heart that real change can come about. And we know that technology here. We've been working on it. 
That is the shift in consciousness that's happening at the moment. From rational consciousness to visionary consciousness. And we individually and collectively as the chapel are a part of this movement that's happening all over the world. From meditation centers to yoga studios, from churches to mosques to temples, those involved in the work of the evolution of consciousness know that these changes are coming about through, through the increased global connectivity and they are urging others on. You know, we have a part to play in that. What is our part? You know, you're a light of the world, it says. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And remember, I said a few weeks ago that the word city uh, in the Bible is code for consciousness. A city built on a hill, a higher consciousness that cannot be hidden. And so, you know, we must allow that higher consciousness to, you know, to be not hidden under a bowl of rationalism that says it's the economy stupid and we've got to get back to normal. This new consciousness has to be seen and heard, whether it's coming from the Dalai Lama or Greta Thunberg or the Reverend Al Sharpton or Professor Cornell West or Marianne Williamson or Trevor Noah or Rowan Williams, or John Stewart, or whoever's saying it, the world needs to take on new values and a new way of being to stop a pandemic happening again. And if one does happen again, to see how we can respond to it in a more appropriate way, or a war, or a climate catastrophe, or whatever disaster the rational mind is going to inflict on us next. Because we have a role in these things coming about. And our role here is to represent individually and corporately how we can manage that. We've always described ourselves here as the chapel on the hill. It's also a city on the hill, a new consciousness that we have to keep shining in these circumstances. And it's not political. It's not about the banter of left or right, what happens in politics, that's more of the same rational consciousness. This is aspirational, aspiring to a more visionary consciousness in the world, coming from the idea in the Beatitudes that if you truly see the world as one, if you have compassion, if you recognize the need for meekness and seek a right relationship with God, but not knowing how that might look, but feeling the pain of the oppressed and your pain and, the, and yourself in the hand of the persecutors, if we can do all that, then we better do something about it. It's not left or right to see the universe as one and to recognize your enemy as the shadow of yourself. It's visionary consciousness as opposed to rational consciousness. Rational consciousness wants to identify your enemy and fight it. Visionary consciousness recognizes its own part in the creation of that enemy. We have to see that we have something real to offer. And something real is also referred to 
by many others around the world. Jack Cornfield, Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle, Matthew Fox, Cynthia Bourgeau, James Finley, Richard Raw. You know, we know our tribe. We just have to have the confidence to proclaim our aspect of it, knowing that it will make a difference if we don't hide under the banner of just being some small parochial chapel with a modest membership. That doesn't matter. There are only 12 disciples. It's the message that's important. And we have to do all we can to proclaim it, even if we're in a pandemic and seemingly closed down. The spirit is never closed. Ideas can always get out. We just have to have the confidence to make it happen. The confidence that all those courses that we went on, all the hours of study, all the time on the meditation cushion was not just some ego-driven search for self-improvement, but was in fact a response of the heart. The daring heart must invade reason with its own living warmth and the symmetry of reason giving way to admit love and the pulsation of life. That's what our individual lives have really been about, and that's what we're about as a community. So I think let's get behind it. Let's get behind it with our time, our commitment, our attention to our own lives, and yes, also with our money, because without money, that light just goes out. Because now is a time for preparation for real change, that liminal space that Richard Raw is always talking about. The word liminal comes from the Latin root limen, which means threshold. The liminal space is the crossing over space, a space where you've left something behind, yet not fully going into something else. It's a transition space, and we're in that space right now. Now is the time for us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's not an ordinary time right now. It's a time of threshold, a time for us to put our hand to the plow and to create a new furrow for others to follow. Are you not frustrated with the way things are, the way things seem to be, the way things that always seem to be? If not, now, when is the time to be salt of the earth and light of the world, even if it is difficult? All of us have spent our lives getting to this point, and there is now a possibility of something coming about. And let's decide to be a part of that. And the way we do that is having our lives fully conformed to the values that we talk about, not just keeping it in our heads as good ideas that others should follow but rather becoming that light and salt in the way that we live, with our families, with our friends, with our colleagues, with our money, with our politics, with our very expression. Our lives individually are the art that each of us make in the world. Salt and light are not an idea, they're the very taste and brightness of our lives as we live them to those around us, individual, individually and as a community, being that work of art. Every action, 
Every interaction is an opportunity for that light to shine, for the saltiness to be tasted. And we should make sure that we do manifest it. Our lives should be a whirlwind of love that enfolds and lifts up all that we come into contact with. And if that sounds too much, just try it. Try it with the person you're sitting next to right now or the person you meet next. Have them taste your saltiness and see the light of love in your eyes. It's just a question of making that decision. Jesus knew that when he challenged his disciples and said, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so it gives light to everyone. Jesus said that to his disciples are what we see as the end of the first axial age, what Carl Jespers identifies as the birth of all the major world religions from 800 BC right up to about Christ. Buddhism, Taoism, all of them began to manifest specifically and individually. That was known as the first axial age. And perhaps now we are in the second axial age where traditional rational consciousness that created those religions in the first place begins to break down into a more holistic and visionary conception. We're seeing it happen now right in front of our eyes, particularly beginning in the 1960s and coming up to the present day. To some extent, we are the generation that have witnessed those changes. My children can't see them, but we can. And we are now in the place where we can help it on to the next generation. That's what it is to be the salt for the earth and light for the world. We have a chance to be that in our lives. And let's all of us be worthy of that chance. Thank you. Yeah, so any thoughts from you about uh, salt and light? And I, I really love, first of all, your emphasis on like the spirit is not closed. Like yeah. Everything else is closing around us, but the spirit is not closed. Yeah. And, um, and we have an opportunity of, of, you know, playing with the spirit kind yeah. of thing, joining in and participating. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm working a lot at the moment with Cynthia Bergeau's book, um, The Wisdom Way of Knowing. Yeah. And it reminded me of this that she writes here. Um, there is always a kind of cosmic downloading going on as the divine qualities seek new stream beds to flow through. The imaginal realm presses against our physical one in an alchemy of transformation, aching, it seems, to come into finitude. And from our end, we live in the cosmos not as exiles yearning for the absolute, but as alchemists and artists, teasing the shape of the divine, emerging out of the eternal and into the now. Um, and the divine reality presses towards form. And so I just loved your emphasis on uh, the responsibility on each of us to do something with our lives, like to make our lives an, a work of art, individually and collectively, and that, you know, that we're all like all the time being asked to manifest something of the divine through our lives, through our physicality. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that the whole idea of salt and light is about manifesting that download, that we do have that connection, and that our responsibility is not to close it down, but to actually share that connection around 
And, that, and that, I think that connectivity, that is how e the evolution of consciousness comes about. I always think that connection is the driver for the evolution of consciousness. And we're seeing so much connection going on around in the world at the moment. And I think we, you know, we do have the opportunity to play our part in that. Yeah, I also really liked your emphasis on, um, you know, like all the work we've all done on yeah. spiritually throughout our lives. You know, to what end? Like, knowledge for knowledge's sake. I mean, that, who cares? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's always for the sake of the, the greater whole, for the evolution of consciousness, for, you know, for the world, you know, for, serv for service. And that's something you've talked about tons here is mm. the end result is it's always about how can our lives be of service? So I really like that. And we are all being forced to reflect right now. I mean, we're being forced to be in our homes And whether or not we get out and do something else, you know, the very fact of not being able to do as much means we have to reflect on our lives. You know, we have to reflect on our relationship with our families, with each other, with our children. You know, what's our lives about? What are our jobs about? I can work from home now. I don't have to go in. You know, here I am, a priest in a church. I've got nobody here <laughs> in terms of the chapel. What do I do? We're really asked to reflect. And we're asked to think, how do we show compassion and understanding you know people are still coming into the chapel you know Heinz and Karen come in and do the garden no one's here no one can see it except me sitting in my office but they come in and do the garden they're, they're expressing themselves in a way I mean it is a it's a cool um, opportunity to be creative and to be like sort of creative midwives to birth something yeah, new yeah yeah you know and, and I think it gives us that opportunity I mean Mincia and Susan manifest their art like this and we sit there and listen to it and each of us We're the instrument of our own lives. And either we play all the strings and we are salt and light, or we just close down and we just sort of a sort of a backdrop where nothing much happens. And I think the impetus is to have that manifestation of art. Mm. That's not for me banging on. This is proper art. Let's <laughs> have some music. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.